As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Soccer Show as we look at the question everybody is asking, which soccer organizations are offering jobs to employees from other soccer organizations? Today, we're looking at why Cristiano Ronaldo wants out from Manchester and where he might head, how Antonio Conte is spreading Tottenham's bread and giving his team training sessions full of dread, Paul Pogba's decision to retread back with Pavel Nedved, another unfortunate spate at Old Trafford, God, that was bad, and Raheem Sterling returning to the city in which he was born oh, and no. bred. Goodness me. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today is a man who is very similar to Paolo Dybala Dybala, in that he doesn't have a contract with the professional soccer team. Taylor Rockwell. Rockwell? Rockwell? Yet. Yet. We don't know where we're both going to land. I have a feeling he gets one faster than I do, but you never know, Ryan. You never know. You do never know. I apologize, Taylor, for stumbling possibly 2,000 times during my intro there, but uh, I'm not going to do it again. I mean, like doing that to then reference Paolo Dybala feels kind of accurate because that feels like how his career has gone now. <laughs> Indeed, very good. More on him later, I suspect, Tate. But uh, meanwhile, we've got a man celebrating all the latest twists on the MLS roller coaster. Wayne Rooney returning to DC United as coach Joe Lowry. Fun times ahead. Ryan, I can't even express to you how wild the last maybe 72 hours have been in MLS. You have El Trafico on Friday and, and a 7-0 win for the Philadelphia Union on Friday. You have a bunch of chaos on Saturday. Hector Herrera debuts for the Houston Dynamo. Cucho Hernandez debuts and scores the game winner for for the Columbus crew. And then all of a sudden we're, we're sort of working our way. Oh, and then you have Joseph Martinez's rant, excuse me, at basically the front office and everything around Atlanta United right now after they get smacked by Austin at home. There's other chaos on Saturday. And then it's Sunday night. You know, everything's winding down. We're all getting ready to hop into Monday. And now apparently Wayne Rooney is coming back to DC United, this time as manager. I, uh, I don't even really know what's going on at this point, Ryan Bailey, but I do very much like that all of this is going on. It is a lot of fun indeed, Joe Larry. I just watched some footage of uh, Rooney arriving at the airport in Washington, D.C. And just that thing where he had like loads of huge bags and then just sort of pushed the trolley towards someone else <laughs> who just took them all and took him away so he could walk and have his picture taken. I wish I had that service at the airport, Joe. I mean, isn't that what kids are for? 
Eventually, eventually. Mine, mine needs <laughs> okay. to be trained for that, I suppose. Yeah, Fair but we enough. shall see. Well, that's, that's uh, on you, Ryan. That's on you. It is indeed. It's my failing there, Joe. You're quite right. Uh, rounding out our pack, Joe, a person who may or may not have had 700 drinks this weekend, bro. Was it you, Graham Ruffin? <laughs> uh, it was. Thankfully, I was not called out by Nick Kyrgios in centre court, though, in a Wimbledon final, as the woman with 700 drinks was on Sunday. Yeah, Taylor and Joe, I don't know if you saw this, but during the Wimbledon uh, men's final on Sunday, uh, Nick Kyrgios was angry at everyone except himself, including a lady <laughs> who apparently was distracting him because she'd had around 700 drinks bro. And hashtag 700 drinks bro Taylor was trending on Twitter. I don't know if you noticed that. I did not. That's a, a, a twen- uh, twending. Is that not wow. your nickname, t- Taylor? <laughs> uh, in college, it might have been. Uh, I wish that that had been the thing that was trending for my Twitter. My Twitter seems to be a little bit more depressing these days. Maybe that's the one I need to follow. I was ready for it to be like he was so focused on like tiny background noises or something. Like she was like slurping with a straw. I wasn't ready for it to just be uh, some drunken nonsense instead. Okay, I was just going to ask for a little bit of background on on is it Kirosh? How do you pronounce the name? Kirios. Okay, Kirios. Because I've seen he seems to be a very polarizing tennis figure. And I, yeah. I'm not entirely sure why, because I don't really follow tennis, but I am peripherally curious about tennis. Can someone give me, like, the 30-word explainer here? He untucked his shirt once, and it was just <laughs> He wore the wrong color hat, Joe. Wrong color hat. It was terrible. Yeah. So, to be fair, he has been rather abusive. He has been rather abusive on the tennis court to players and fans, and particularly umpires. And his behaviour has stepped over the line. And at the moment, there is also a very serious uh, domestic abuse case raised against him in Australia. Oh. So there is a lot of legitimate criticism of Nick Kyrgios, but there is also an element of tennis being all about the etiquette and you know what Wimbledon's right. like and he he readily flaunts that etiquette and will wear a red hat and red Air Jordans onto the court. So the, he's a very complicated figure. I don't think really, if you're a fan of Kyrgios, maybe that is not a good place to be, but he is certainly <laughs> watchable and entertaining on the court. Yeah, and uh, Joe, he's also sometimes in his past been accused of tanking games, uh, tanking matches, I should yeah. say, which is quite controversial, i.e. if the first set doesn't go his way, he might not try very hard in the second set. And that's yeah. obviously and- that's something that's leveled at him. It's not really the done thing. Yeah, and at the core of all this is that... Sorry, we're getting off on a tangent. That was a little more than 30 I, I words, swear. but you know, I'm, I'm into it, yeah. I'm into it. <laughs> I, will, I will stop. He is a, he's outrageously talented. So when he does care and when he turns up, he can beat anyone in the world. So that's why he's kind of such a compelling figure. Taylor, still with that's us here? I am. In fact, I have a tennis question for the first time in my life. Uh, Graham, like... It sounds like some of that behavior, emphasizing some of that behavior, is a little bit like John McEnroe, and it's you know famous mm-hmm. for the like, "Are you kidding me?" Uh, sort of rants. Is is John McEnroe like a beloved figure in tennis for that behavior, or is that a thing that like non-tennis fans know about and actual tennis fans don't really love that much? No. No, I think he's beloved now, but he's only beloved now because they don't have to deal with what he's like on the court. And so when he's playing with Pearl Jam at Hyde Park, like he did on Saturday night, everyone kind of likes that John McEnroe, but when he's shouting at umpires, maybe not so much. Yeah. And Taylor, he was on the US broadcast on ESPN for the men's final, and he was saying things like, you know, um, Kyrgios just needs to calm down, you know, have a, have a proper word with the, uh, with the umpire here and have, show a bit of respect. Words to those effects, which was the height of irony, essentially, coming yeah, from it's him. Yeah, like Roy Keane criticizing somebody for going in too aggressively in a challenge. Like, really? You've seen you play before, correct? <laughs> exactly, yeah. But now, you know, Wimbledon's behind us. Wimbledon can get back to refocusing on what it does best. League Two Soccer, of course, what it's most uh, best known for. Um, by the way, listener, I'm on vacation at the 
moment. Um, why lay in the sun with a beer in Portugal where I am now when I could be inside podcasting with my friends here, which is what I'm doing exactly. Um, and also, I went to Barcelona earlier this week. I don't know if any of you fellas have been, but I went to the Camp Nou and had a tour of the Camp Nou, which is very, very impressive. They've got a really good museum and like this sort of self-guided tour that you can do all through the stadium. You can go up on what, all three levels of the main stand. You can go out and take a look at the field. You go in the away locker room and... One of the most intriguing bits. Uh, I don't know if you've been there, Graham, or you've done the tour, but um, I I, well, they they had like no security, so like there were kids. There was mostly sort of American tourists. It seemed to be, and, and my family on this uh, on this Camp New tour, but kids were just going on the field. And <laughs> maybe ten minutes later, someone would say, oh, "You shouldn't be on that." So I, I thought that was interesting, Graham. But did, did that happen when you went? Uh, no, not that I remember. Maybe they had the money to afford security guards 10 years ago when I was last there. <laughs> but did you bump into Joe Rogan at the camp now, or the Spotify camp now, as uh, it's now officially titled? I did not see Joe Rogan at the Spotify. Has he been there lately? No, just because of his close links with Spotify, I assumed oh. that they were paying, what was it, 100 million euros for the, 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 the naming rights to the camp now. I assumed they were just buying him a house. That was what that was, the purpose of that was. Maybe so. Maybe he'll be selling hot dogs there or something if they're going to try and uh, <laughs> save some money with with Spotify deal. Who see? Who 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 can tell, Graham? Who can tell? But what we're here to do, Graham, is talk about transfers. Uh, looking at the Guardian's transfer tracker, gents, uh, the deals completed so far this summer are six hundred and seventy to a total of two point one billion dollars. Uh, why don't we start off today, Taylor Rockwell, with Sebastian Hilaire going to Borussia Dortmund, uh, a reported 36 million euro fee there. Um, Ajax getting Steve Bergwijn in as a replacement. It was I call him Steve, not Stephen. We're very close, apparently. Um, and uh, what, what, what do we make of this one, Tate? I mean, it seems like tough times for Ajax, I have to say, with how they're leaving. Uh, I, I believe I'm correct in saying thus far they've lost uh, Brian Brabby, who went back on loan uh, or loan over back to Leipzig. Uh, but then uh, Masrawi going to Bayern, Andre Onana, their goalkeeper going to Inter, Danilo Pereira going to Feyenoord. They sold Haller. They sold Ryan Grevenberch. Uh, that's five important players and Danilo. That's not meant to be shots. That's just a statement of fact because he only played 14 uh, times. But then there's also a chance they lose Anthony, the right winger. Uh, Lisandro Martinez, if you believe the reports, demanded a transfer today. So that's another center back they might need to replace. And Nicolo Taliafico has been linked with uh, Brighton pretty consistently. They have made one signing. They're about to make another one. You mentioned Steven Steve Bergwijn. Uh, also, <laughs> Owen Weindahl, a uh, 22-year-old left back from AZ. They triggered his release clause. Brilliant and football fans manager. are real mad. <laughs> what did what, you say, Graham? Brilliant football manager, Owen right? Weindahl. Yeah, every time he's... I sign him, sign him every time. You can get him for about fifteen million pounds, and he becomes a superstar. <laughs> he's also he's also one of those in in FIFA twenty two that is lower than he should be, and is a great one to get in career mode. That's what I know him from: being very fast as a left wing as a left back and being very attacking. So it seems like Ajax are doing what Ajax do, which is sell some players, but then replace them with yeah. players that will be of that same quality in a year or two to then be sold again. Uh, Steven Bergwijn may be the outlier there because uh, the 30 million euros is the same that Spurs paid for PSG, though he is only 24 years old, so we would assume there's another sale potentially down the road. I'm guessing there'll be some academy kids coming through, so it's a weird situation in which, which Ajax doing a bunch of selling linked with pretty much every club and every single one of their players linked with a move away. And yet at the end of the day, we would assume they'll be in the top three uh, next season at a minimum. 
Yeah, and, yeah. and this is just the kind of stuff that happens for Ajax, right? Let's think back a couple of years ago, 2020, 2021, and, and 2019-20. So in, the, in that couple-year stretch, they lost Hakim Ziyech, Donny van de Beek, uh, Sergio Des, Quincy Promes, and, and a couple others in 2020 and 2021. And then in 1920, they lost De Jong and De Ligt and, and Kasper Dolberg. This is just life for Ajax. They, they are constantly getting pillaged by bigger teams in Europe or teams that have the money and want to exploit Ajax or really just partner with Ajax in their model. Because this is the Ajax model. They want to bring players through. They want to sell them on. And they're one of the best two or three clubs in the entire world at doing that kind of thing. And this is this is just another summer in the life of Ajax. They're going to lose players. Taylor, you mentioned them already. But they haven't really had a huge issue with rebuilding or at least competing in the Eredivisie after losing these players. They've won the last four titles in the Eredivisie. And they've done some real damage in the Champions League along the way. It's not easy to do this, but it's also not really new for Ajax. They're kind of built to do this. Now, you couple a lot of these absences with a new manager coming through, and you do have some challenges there. This is not going to be an easy season for Ajax, or at least it doesn't seem that way. But I think this is par for the course for how they want to operate, and not a huge surprise in a lot of ways. It's still difficult, but but yeah, it's, it's kind of par for the course. And then as far as Hilaire to Dortmund goes, Ryan, to go back to kind of your initial question, I like this move for Dortmund. I like this move because I think they have other players that can find Haller in the box and who can give him service because that's the kind of player he is, right? Maybe he can create a shot inside the 18, but he's not really going to spread wide and dribble at you on the break and create his own shot cutting in. He's a number nine who likes to be in the box. In a lot of ways, he's a poacher. And I think when you look at players like Gio Reyna, if he's fit and healthy, when you look at other players that Dortmund has in midfield, like Jude Bellingham, they have guys who can create chances for a, a classic number nine. And I think if things are coming together around Haller, which I guess is not a given with Dortmund right now, but given the talent they have, I think Haller is a pretty smart signing for Dortmund, and I think he should fit there pretty yeah. well. Yeah, Dortmund, they were never going to find a like-for-like like replacement for Haaland because that, that player simply doesn't exist. So it's about trying to find, Joe, as you were saying, trying to trying to build the team to be stronger as a whole. And I think they've, they've done a pretty good... Obviously, we won't know for certain until we actually see the team play, but on paper, they seem to have done that. They've brought in, brought in Adeyemi, so I like the idea of him and Halar maybe being used as a, as a front two. I think they've, they've strengthened the, the defence with Schlotterbeck and Nicolas Sula. I think if they can add a central midfielder... I believe Dortmund will have had a really good window where they're actually stronger coming out of it than they were going in, despite losing their best player. And that's pretty much as the best that they could have hoped for. Is, does it mean, Graham, or just Dortmund just really good at this in general? They seem to set themselves up most seasons pretty well, considering losing players and so on. Generally and traditionally, yes. I feel like in the last few seasons, they have lost their way slightly. And obviously this summer, there, there is a lot of change happening at Dortmund, not just in the fact that Haaland has gone and that they've, they've brought in a new central defensive pairing, but they've got a new manager, obviously, or a, a new old <laughs> manager. I'm not entirely sure. Edin Terzic obviously was the, the old interim manager, but Marco Rosa is gone, and Zork as well has, has gone as the, as the sporting director. So there is a lot of change at Dortmund. There's been a suggestion that maybe they are going to change tack slightly, and they will bring in slightly more experienced players, like Haller, because obviously he's he's been around a little bit now. He's not a, a young prospect. He's, he's someone that Dortmund are bringing in to win games and potentially win trophies right now so that's slight that's a slightly different approach from them so they're trying to mesh the two of still bringing in guys like Schlotterbeck who, who's young and his best years ahead of him but bringing in experienced players like Sula and, and Halla so that that's something that's new for them I would say okay plenty of uh, forward players moving around it seems Taylor how about Richarlison going to Tottenham Hotspur 50 million pounds plus 10 million in add-ons for that one it seems like Spurs are 
having a pretty good summer with Antonio Conte at the helm. Uh, Ipa Suma, of course, coming in. Even Perisic and Fraser Forster um, also coming in. And Clement Longley uh, coming in on loan from Barcelona as well. Uh, looks like Tottenham are bolstering their squad for the Champions League, Taylor. Yeah, I'll be positive and then slightly negative. Uh, I think a lot of those moves you mentioned make a ton of sense. And when you look at Spurs on paper... They have a ton of depth, particularly in the attack and midfield, especially with players coming back from loan. I mean, you could start at center forward, Richarlison or Kane. That's not the worst problem to have. I'm assuming they will find a way to get both of them playing together. But yeah, Perisic, Youngman Song, Brian Heal returning. Uh, you've got Kulisevsky still there. You've still got Lucas Mora there. There are so many attacking options. They have six or seven potential starting central midfielders, all of whom are quite good, all of whom will be incredibly fit if social media is to be believed. Uh, Antonio Conte's preseason training seems more than a little bit intense, so I'm guessing we're <laughs> going to have a very fit Spurs team to start the year. My only consp- uh, concern, conspern, apparently I'm just all about portmanteaus today, unintentionally so, uh, would be the defense, because you mentioned there, Ryan, like Clement Longley signing... I, I honestly don't know if it's just my bias, but I don't think of him as being that impact difference maker. They still have Christian Romero. They still have Eric Dyer, Davidson Sanchez, Jaffa Tanganga for now, Joe Roden. But I, I think between that and their fullbacks, that seems to be the area where there's not quite as much quality as there is in the attack. I don't know if it will end up being that big of an issue because Antonio Conte tends to get his teams playing some pretty solid defensive football when they need to. Uh, but So I think a lot of the moves that Spurs are making put them in incredibly strong positions, just maybe not in quite as strong a position as, say, Liverpool or Man City. Joe, how do you feel about this one for Spurs? He's a very good striker, is Richarlison. I think he. I think I've mentioned before on the pod that he's the kind of player I feel could fit into most top team systems. I, I could see him at City, for example. Uh, I think Chelsea reportedly tried to buy him as well. Do you think that's a good move for him and, and a big loss for Everton? I like. I like Spurs. I like this move for them. I think it makes sense to have him in a team that likes to be on the break a little bit, right? I mean, that's what we saw at times from Everton last year. I I think his skill set lends itself well to attacking space quickly, and and the opportunities where space appears the quickest is in attacking transition. And we know a lot about Antonio Conte and how he likes to play. There'll be a lot of moments where Richarlison can just drive at people on the break. I think he's really good at that. He's physically capable, he's energetic, and he has skill as well. I can see him and Son and Kane and whoever else is in that attack at any given time along with the wingbacks if it is that three at the back shape. I think there's a lot of potential for Tottenham to be really dangerous in those moments. Yeah, and it it feels to me like a big club move because when I first saw it and I first read that Spurs wanted him, my question was, why? Not because he isn't a good player. He's a very good player and it's probably the right time for him not to play for a club on the verge of self-destruction season after season like Everton. But Spurs, as we've already covered, they're well stocked in the attacking position. But he's going to ease the load on both Kane and Son. Um, he can he can play on the, on the on either wing. He can play as a number 10. He can play up front in his own. He can play as part of a front two. And it, it feels like there's going to be a lot of game time for him to be had because... Spurs are going to be fighting on on four fronts. So I I like this move a lot. And as I say, it's it's a big club signing that will strengthen Tottenham in much the same way that Luis Diaz going to Liverpool did in January. That's that's kind of how I see it. I see it in that same sort of vein where he is not guaranteed of a place, but he might just lift the level of everyone around him. 
Uh, Joe, Graham, uh, appreciate all that you all have said. My question in response, do you all feel like this is Spurs sort of jumping ahead of some of their top, top six opposition? Because I feel like Man United, we're going to talk about them having some signing issues. Uh, Arsenal have signed some players. I don't know if it puts them in the level of, of Spurs right now. Chelsea signing players, but still seems like a lot of uncertainty around them. So to me, it feels like it's Tottenham sort of shoring up mm-hmm. that that third spot or like that, that top four spot uh, heading into the season. Obviously we never know how it's going to play out, but they seem like they're uh, looking pretty strong overall. Of all the teams that are not City and Liverpool in the Premier League, it feels like Spurs to me are, are, are the best equipped for this new season. And maybe they're the ones that I still think it's asking a lot for them to completely bridge the gap to City and Liverpool. But if anyone is going to close that, that difference, then it feels like Spurs are the one just because they've got, Antonio Conte as a manager and it very much feels like he's getting his way in in the transfer window and they're moving through positions very methodically so it feels like they needed a left wing back so they went and got even Perisic they needed a backup goalkeeper they got Fraser Foster they needed a two-way central midfielder they got Yves they needed a forward a versatile forward who can ease the load on Kane and Son they got Richarlison I still feel like they need a right wing, wing back and I am I am not totally sold on Clement Longley being the centre back that they needed but they are doing a better job in the market than many of their rivals, as you say there, Taylor. For me, it's, it's just a top four right now. I, I don't know that this move drastically increases Tottenham's odds of finishing higher up the table. It probably does a little bit. But it's City and Liverpool as the top two, then a giant gap, and then Chelsea and Tottenham in one order or the other, and then a, a pretty large gap as well, in my mind, where you have Arsenal and then an even bigger gap, and then there's Manchester United. Oh boy. More on those shortly, Joseph. But before we do that, before we take a quick break, I just want to squeeze in uh, Virginia going to PSG. Uh, Virginia midfielder from Porto, who's uh, cost uh, PSG 40 million euros. We saw a little bit of him in the Premier League with Wolves a couple seasons ago. And then, says the Guardian, played a key role in Porto's engine room as they won the League and Cup double. Joe, I must admit, he's not a player I know an awful lot about. Have you got the down low on Virginia? Sure, just a very brief scouting report. I want to watch more of him, and I'm hopeful that we will at PSG this year. He's right-footed, he's technical, he's quick on the ball, he has good passing range. He can play in a few different spots, but I'm guessing, given that it's PSG, he'll end up playing slightly deeper and more centrally uh, than maybe at times we've seen him in the past, either for Wolves or Porto. But he really is a technical, creative player in those spaces. And he's young as well, which I think is interesting, seeing PSG go after someone like this with some of the other changes we've seen from them, new manager. Uh, I mean, there's a lot going on with this club right now. I don't know if Virginia will stabilize this PSG team or, or absolutely make them the Champions League contender. He doesn't do that all on his own. But I think this is a good signing by PSG because they have infinite money and that doesn't really seem to matter at this point. Hmm. Um, Graham, this is a young player, as Joe says, with lots of promise who isn't a megastar who's already at the top of his arc. What are PSG doing here? This seems to be going against the blueprint. <laughs> yeah, this, is, this doesn't seem like a very PSG signing, but that is actually precisely the point of why they have gone for him because it's worth talking about uh, Luis Campos, who is the, the new sporting director at PSG. He is the, the guy who was widely credited with turning Monaco and, and Lille into title winners in France. And he takes a very different approach to Leonardo, who obviously was the, the previous sporting director at PSG. Leonardo was all about the Galactical signings and getting the most superstars onto the pitch at one time. And that obviously didn't really work for PSG. So now they've got Campos in and he could completely change that approach as, as a club because he very much puts more of a focus on building the best team unit and 
PSG have given him the freedom to actually build a team and that's reflected in this in the signing of Virginia and also the appointment of uh, Christophe Galtier as, as, as the manager. He's not Zidane, he's not Mourinho, some of the big names that were mentioned with that job after Pochettino left. He is a manager who obviously led Lille to the league on title, that's where Campos knows him from, the two have worked together, he was at Nice. And in terms of past PSG managers, he's probably closer to Unai Emery than, than anyone else. His teams do play dynamic football, but it's often built on solid foundations and a 4-2, a 4-4-2 shape. And it's going to be interesting to see how he fits the squad that he's inherited into that shape and who are the players that are going to be pushed to the side. Because obviously the biggest headline right off the bat there is the fact that he tends to play two forwards and he's got Messi, Mbappe and Neymar to fit into a front two. So that's going to be very interesting. And I like the Virginia signing because I think part of the problem last season was a lack of cohesion between the midfield and the attack. And I was reading, reading that Virginia completed more passes in the final third than any other player in the Primera Liga last season. And also, I think, fourth or fifth for progressive carries into the final third as well. So he is a player who potentially could bring a bit more cohesion between the different areas of this PSG team. What I do you think, think the especially is really, really exciting. And I think you're absolutely right to spotlight Luis Campos uh, first, Graham. Uh, and, and because of what he's doing, because it seems like he is being given the license to make his stamp on this team and Gaultier very much a part of that. But it seems like they have a very strong working relationship, as you already indicated, Graham. And I think reading about that appointment of Gaultier has me thinking that we will see a new PSG. And it's not like a thing that I've ever really cared that much about because it just always feels like they have infinite amounts of money. They can appoint whatever manager they want. But this seems like a really interesting approach because by all accounts, Galtier is a very good man manager, but is very honest and very direct with his players. And so how that works in a locker room where, as Michael Cox wrote plenty last season, you can't really defend in a 7-0-3 formation. Uh, and so how you kind of get those egos to come together to play in that 4-4-2, at least on the defensive side, I don't really know how you make that happen, but it seems like that's what he is brought in to do to make this team more functional and less uh, uh, glittery, I think is the term. So I, I think it makes a lot of sense and it's really exciting. It has me like pumped to watch PSG in a way that I haven't been in a good long while. So yeah. let's see how it goes. No, I totally agree, Taylor. And I think PSG are quietly one of the stories of the summer where they haven't really made many moves, but what's going on in the background makes them really yeah. interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I really want to see how this all unfolds on the pitch. Very interesting stuff. Thank you, gents. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Frankie de Jong, Cristiano Ronaldo and everything going on or not going on at Manchester United. Back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. 
Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our transfer special. This is the part of the show where Taylor maybe starts sighing a lot internally, <laughs> quite possibly. We're going to talk about Manchester United and for a little while. And externally yeah. indeed, Greb, yes. Uh, Frankie de Jong. Um, Barcelona need to sell him, most likely. Manchester United want to buy him. As we record, there's around a £72 million rumoured fee for him. Um, Taylor, what's going on with this deal? What's going on with Manchester United? Yeah, I, I think this is... Uh, maybe this is my bias. I don't think it is. I think it has less to do with Manchester United than ever before, more so to do with Frankie de Jong and Barcelona. And I think it's it's a pretty sizable game of brinksmanship at this point. Basically, the background, as I understand it, uh, I look forward to people telling me I've got this woefully wrong. Uh, but I think it's basically Frankie de Jong on a massive wage. I think it's around like 14 million uh, euros per season. He defers a huge amount of that during COVID because they're not making as much money. Barcelona asked him to do so. He does just that and is now owed around 17 million euros. Uh, Barcelona asking him to take a lower wage permanently and then also maybe not worry so much about that deferred wage. Uh, it also seems like maybe they're inclined to put that onto the transfer fee and ask Manchester United to cover that difference. But either way, it seems like that is the major sticking point here. He is not taking a mandatory pay cut or doesn't want to, at least until he's paid what he is owed. Uh, it doesn't seem like he very much wants to move to Manchester United. That could be just a bargaining position of if he says... You know, you never know what the future holds. I'm always open to options. Then that gives Barcelona license to say, see, he wants to leave. He's not fully committed. I think he's doing a very good job of not giving them like any rope to hang him with. And so as a result, it it to me still seems like Barcelona are playing a game that they are destined to lose. But then again, it's Barcelona. So maybe they'll be able to figure a way out of this. But that seems to be the sticking point is the amount of money owed to Frankie de Jong uh, is so sizable and his his wage is so high that Barcelona need him gone to be able to register players and make more signings. He doesn't really seem to want to go. He has a contract until like 2026, I think. So I don't know how this one uh, ends, but I think all that means it's going to drag on for a very long time. Yeah. Barcelona just seem to be playing with fire so consistently. <laughs> yep. It's unreal how how blasé they have been in the transfer market because I'm reading today that apparently Rafinha, they've they've struck a deal with Rafinha, so that's 60 to 70 million euros that they, 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 they're going to pay for him, plus I'd imagine he'd be on a big wage. Last week they confirmed the signing of Frank Kessier, so they've, they've kind of already replaced Frankie de Jong with another central midfielder, and yet they've still got Frankie de Jong on this massive wage, which, by the way, is a is if he was to stay at Barcelona for the next two years, mm-hmm. two seasons from now, his wage is going to double, which I read is about six hundred and fifty thousand euros a week that <laughs> Frankie de Jong is going to be on, Goodness. which is insane. Like, how did they think this was okay? I understand that they deferred the wage and that bought them some some uh, some time and got them some breathing space. But how did they ever think they were not going to get into this situation where they're going to try and sell De Jong, but obviously De Jong is going to want the wages that he's owed. And as you say, Taylor, that now seems to be the thing holding this deal up. And it just feels like Barcelona have backed themselves into a corner where they're going to end up, if they don't end up paying the full amount, they're going to end up paying a big whack of this amount. And it just becomes... It's just become a bit of a mess for them in every way. Barcelona, Graham, are literally the dog with the coffee with the fire around him saying everything's fine, aren't they? Because if you, uh, Sid Lowe had a good piece on ESPN this week explaining the situation and their financial activities. They're still reportedly 1.3 billion euros in debt, but still, as you say, 
in the transfer market. Uh, Frank Kessie and Christensen, who were presented last week, they still can't be registered because they don't meet the league's financial fair play criteria. So, it, as you say, yeah. pl- pl- literally playing with fire, Graham. And and they just they're going to spend one point three billion redeveloping the camp now, which I, it needs a lot of development, as you will know, Ryan. You've yes. just been there, but maybe that's not the priority right now. If you redevelop that stadium, I'm not convinced the club will be around to play in it when it's finished. I I just uh, I just what? can't I just can't even believe that all of this is happening. I, this is this season, this part of the soccer calendar is the best part of the year, and I, I won't hear anything to the contrary. Not only do we get to to get to live through all these transfers and get to experience the hope for these different teams, this is like a, a universal time of hope for for almost every team in the world. You get to be excited about that, but we also get to watch two of the most dysfunctional clubs in the world right now argue <laughs> over Frankie de Jong, and I just. <laughs> I just can't believe that this is what what has come to Manchester United and Barcelona. The fact that Barcelona paid him that much to begin with, a player that was really never going to fit in the classic Barcelona ideology, which is seemingly what they're always trying to get back to, and the fact that they overpaid this much, both to, to get him and, and how much they're paying for him, is absurd. And now, Ryan, they really are that dog with the fire around them, but they've started the fire and are doing absolutely nothing to stop it, and it's just so good. Yeah. The only thing I would take issue with is that uh, from what I've read between the Spotify deal and they are about to sell, I think it's like 15% of their U.S. broadcast rights, which will be enough money that they then reach a level of financial stability such that right now they're the way their kind of system works because of that debt is that I think it's for every dollar they spend they have to bring in three dollars that's roughly the number and i think once they uh, achieve those two deals or finalize those two deals it goes back to they can for every dollar they spend they just have to bring in one dollar so it makes it much less of a severe financial penalty and that's when i think they will be able to register those players and keep making those signings still massively in debt but at least that's how they'll get around some of the embargoes on registering players but I think that's why they need Frankie de Jong to take that massive cut because then that gets a huge amount of money off the books that brings them further into the zone they need to be in. But it requires a player to walk away from many, 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 many millions of dollars. I read that I think over the four years, Graham, to your number, uh, if you add that one out, it's something like they owe him 88 or 89 million euros over the next four <laughs> years. Uh, so I don't think he's going to be inclined to really walk away from that one. And again, I don't know how it plays out, but I think that's how they're sort of able to do some of these deals. Mm. Though I think there are players that still have not yet been registered who are also technically Barcelona players. Just going back to some of the deals that you mentioned there, Taylor, that Barcelona are striking with these uh, you know, American VC funds and they're selling off parts of their TV rights for the next five years. It's a little bit like selling the family silver, though, where... Yeah. <laughs> they, they, these, all these deals are great in the short term and they get them time, they buy them time. But what happens when they don't have anything else left to sell? They have sold the sponsorship on the camp now for the next 10 years. They have sold a portion of their TV rights. And it's a little bit like, sorry to bring politics into it, but in the UK, the argument with, uh, with selling off hospitals, private, ho- uh, turning them into private hospitals and you're not privatizing the NHS, you're just getting rid of the, the inventory and so on. Well, that's fine until all of a sudden you literally don't have any hospitals left and you don't have any healthcare either. It's, it's kind of similar with Barcelona where they might reach a point where they literally have nowhere else to turn because they've, they've sold everything. Yes, yeah. but Graham, you're describing a problem that is meant for tomorrow. Not today. We can deal with that tomorrow. Whatever. It'll be fine. It's someone else's problem 10 years from yeah, now when true. there's no money and nothing else to yeah. sell. We, but we, we don't need that silver right now this weekend, so it'll be okay. 
I think they're, they're the dog with the coffee, everything's on fire, but what's on fire is just piles of money around them, I think basically is how we uh, sum that one up. And to be fair, I spent about 80 euros at the Camp Nou uh, this past weekend, so I've done my oh, be bit. Fine, then. I've weakened the negotiation for Manchester United, so I apologise uh, for that to, to Taylor. Um, why don't we talk a little bit more about Manchester United, though? Cristiano Ronaldo, still under contract, Taylor, with Manchester United until next summer. He's not in Thailand with the rest of the Man United team on their pre-season trip. Uh, he didn't report back to to Carrington, the training ground. Uh, he trained in Portugal at the national team training facility instead. He reportedly wants to leave. However, uh, Eric Ten Hag has said on this day we record that uh, Ronaldo is very much in the plans. I'm looking forward, forward to working with him. Cristiano is not for sale. He is in our plans. We want success together. Ha boy, Taylor. Ha boy. Yeah, there's a lot of different ways you can interpret what's happening here. I will do my best to like give a clear picture from my perspective, which is basically I believe that a representative for Ronaldo told the club that he was willing to move if they got a, the right offer, which is basically saying I'm okay to move. I want to see what else is out there. Uh, I also think the reporting today, I think Fabrizio Romano was reporting that the personal issue that has kept him out of United uh, preseason plans is legitimate. It is a real thing. They just don't want to talk about it because it's a private issue. Uh, so I believe those two things can exist simultaneously. But him not showing up to preseason training, if it's a legitimate reason, it's a legitimate reason. If it's sort of him holding the club to the fire and hoping to force a move, it's that too. But either way, he has stated a desire to leave. And this is a player who I think four weeks ago was talking about how this was the team that was going to challenge for silverware next season. And he fully expected to be there and competing. And so all of it points to something happening. Uh, I don't think it was just not qualifying for the Champions League because they knew that was going to be the case for a good long while. Uh, there, I think every player has a 25% reduction in salary built in to their contract if the club were relegated. So there was some speculation that maybe that's part of it. I'm not sure that's the case. It might also be that he just wants Champions League football and wants to play for a high-profile team who will pay him the money he wants. And so he's looking for those options. But there's also some reporting, some little hints, some little rumors that there's locker room issues specifically that he is such a big personality that it sort of means the locker room bends to his will some reporting that maybe if he were to move on younger players feel like they would be able to kind of play as themselves be themselves in the locker room and maybe it becomes more of that club identity again that might be just some spin from different parties but either way this one also feels like one that is kind of strangely up in the air and resolution seems difficult to figure because if it is Ronaldo wanting to leave even if it is a personal issue keeping him out, it still seems like a player who doesn't want to be there, a manager who is intent on keeping him there. But again, that might just be a negotiating tactic. So I think we'll just have to wait and see how Den Hag incorporates him, him, him into training if and when that happens. But it also sounds like a lot of players have already accepted that he won't ever be training for Manchester United again. So lots of different people saying lots of different things. It kind of depends on who you believe as to what you want to believe. Yeah, and we, we have seen this before from Ronaldo, though, because this is basically yeah. what happened last summer, where, if I remember correctly, did he not move Taylor? That was quite a, uh, a, that was a move that happened quite late in the window, was it not? That was August so, or yeah. something like that? Yeah. So yeah. that, it's a similar, that was a similar, there was similar confusion around that deal of why he had left it so long to make clear that he wanted to leave Juventus. And 
it very much feels like let's just say that he he does want to leave Manchester United and it's all legitimate and there's nothing else kind of going on there. There's not personal issues or per- personal issues or anything like that. This is basically what Ronaldo and Jorge Mendes did last summer, where yep. he's decided he doesn't want to beat his current club, so they're trying to manufacture the interest. And Mendes did it very successfully last summer by using City, and I do think there was some interest from City, but I'm not sure how strong it was, and Mendes played it up, and they did that to draw United out, and I think last week's meeting with Barcelona, which was widely reported in the British and the the Spanish press, I think that was an attempt to do the same to Real Madrid, same sort of dynamic where they were counting on Real Madrid not they, they were counting on one of their best ever players not playing for their biggest rivals but if, if Real Madrid aren't falling for that bait and Bayern Munich aren't interested and a move to Chelsea isn't happening because my United won't sell to him I, I genuinely don't know what his option is this summer he's been linked with Roma apparently Jose Mourinho wants him at Roma but then the problem he would have there would be the same one that he has at Manchester United i.e. no Champions League football this season Napoli have been linked are they really going to be able to afford him considering that uh, Caldu Koulibaly apparently has been denied a new contract because he wants over 200,000 euros a week and they're not they're not willing to pay him that so do they have the money to pay Ronaldo I just I don't really see regardless of whether he wants to leave Manchester United or, or not and I think there are a lot of reasons for him to leave to want to leave Manchester United at the moment I don't know where he goes I don't know where the yeah. the genuine landing point is from and and so, Taylor Sorry, Taylor, to ask real quick, and maybe this is me sort of derailing our conversation. I wanted to ask, do you, as a Manchester United fan, want Ronaldo to stay at Manchester United? Because Graham's talking about, you know, maybe there's not really a spot for him elsewhere, and I think that could be absolutely right. If Ronaldo does end up staying, do you think that makes Manchester United better? Do you think he fits under Eric Ten Hag? Like, from your perspective, what do you want to happen here, and what do you think is best for Manchester United? Yeah, I will answer that, Joe. I will give one more, one more little bit of background. There is one other possibility that I saw mooted, which is that basically Ronaldo is very unhappy with the recruitment so far and with the attitude of the squad. And so this is him trying to force the club into making some signings to see kind of what this true team identity is going to be. If that's the case, I'm slightly more okay with it. Uh, if Eric Ten Hag says he's going to fit my system, I want him a lot, then I guess I'm okay with it. But ultimately, my answer is no, I'm fine if he leaves. Uh, I don't care if he leaves on a free, to be honest. I wasn't really crazy about him re-signing in the first place. But if you're backing Eric Ten Hag to kind of rebuild the club, create this strong sense of identity and community in the locker room, which is a thing he's talked about a lot, if Ronaldo's not part of that, if he doesn't fit into it, and he's not going to let you do what you want to do on the pitch, if he's not letting you press and and kind of transition to attack the way he wants to whatever it may be then I'm fine with Ronaldo being shown the door because I think there are younger players who can come in who are already there and have a pretty sizable impact and I think it also is would be an example of United just getting things done and so far it's just again it's a season where they're dragging on and the De Jong transfers dragging on and now the Ronaldo thing it seems like it's going to drag on and there's still no midfielder and still no this and still no that and I think if they're taking decisive action one way or the other that would be a positive I think I would prefer that decisive action be Ronaldo playing elsewhere it feels tailored to me like Ten Hag is not being set up for success just yet for all the reasons you've underlined there I think the only summer signing so far is is it Terrell Malasia from final mm-hmm. the fullback yeah. uh, and I think Ericsson will be finalized soon but yeah right so that's dragging on the young dragging on as you say yeah. the Ronaldo saga taking up a lot of people's bandwidth as well it seems like whatever Ten Hag wanted to do he's perhaps not doing at the moment yeah I mean I, I think he by all accounts, had a very clear idea of what he wanted to do and a plan for how to rebuild this team. Uh, he has so far 
kept his frustrations quiet if they are there. So maybe he's happy with things as they are. I have a hard time imagining that because you want that team on preseason. The whole idea was to get them really bonded and to get them kind of seeing each other as like family over just a collection of individuals. Reports today that he had banned cell phones from team meals to encourage the team to communicate better and, and have those bonds. And so it doesn't seem That's like a proper yeah, dad mis- move that one. Yeah. What, what's that? A proper dad move. <laughs> oh, it really is, right? But also, it is sort of strange to sit at a table with a bunch of people just staring at their phones. And it's just like, shouldn't we be talking? This feels weird. This doesn't feel like a very a happy, good vibes sort of table. So I like him changing that up. I feel like that is a thing that Roy Keane would have insisted. People put your phones away so we can have talks about this I, club. Uh, so- I like to think of the United team just sitting at the, <laughs> the lunch table, just forced eye contact and just everyone <laughs> twitching, like eyes twitching from the eye contact. I need my screens. <laughs> yeah, Harry Maguire hasn't looked at Victor Lindelof in three years. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you look like. I, you just look like a vague blur that I occasionally pass the ball somewhat near. Surely, seriously <laughs> though, Taylor, the conversation once the phones are taken away, they're just going to be reminiscing about their phones, aren't they? That's all it's going to be, I think. Anyway. And remember that Samsung I used to have? Oh, that was uh, the good stuff. Uh, that, this was the final straw for Paul Pogba. He was like, no Instagram, I'm, yeah. I am out of here. <laughs> but like, I, maybe it's because I am now a dad, but I, I appreciate that. And I like a manager coming in and sort of laying down the rules. And if you got a problem with it, you got a problem with it. And that's where I say if Ronaldo wants to go, if it just doesn't fit with him, it's not the right identity. So be it, because I would rather back a manager finally and and see what they can do versus cater to a bunch of different egos and hope that it all coalesces into something good. All right, before we take a break, let's talk about Paul Pogba because his name just came up. He's uh, moving back to Juventus, um, signed as a free agent from Man United for the second time after selling him for, <laughs> what, 90 million in 2016? Wonderful, wonderful you know, business. Do, Ryan, do you know what I loved about Juventus's announcement was they just recycled mine it's Pog back hashtag from 2016. <laughs> you have to respect that complete lack of effort. Not only are they stealing mine it's players, they're stealing their hashtags as well. Oh, indeed. So, Joe, what do we make, what do we make of that? And um, Juve, who've done some reasonably good business in getting uh, him for free getting Angel Di Maria for free as well that sounds pretty good for, to me and um, what do you make of it? Well so I, I quibble slightly with the definition of free right I think it's just important in transfer season so remember that the fees that are being tossed around are not the only element at play here that's far from the only monetary expense and at times it's, it's barely even the majority of the monetary expense when you factor in agent fees and then of course the contracts for these players so starting with Di Maria I guess he's 34 he still can be a very productive attacking player, but he's, he's not going to be the same player that he once was at PSG or at any previous stop earlier in his career. So for me, the, the, the value in that signing depends very much on what the other financial figures were. I think Di Maria can contribute, but I don't know if, if that's a worthwhile move or not. We'll find out more about that, I guess, as the season goes on, and we'll see how well he does. Pogba... I think there's a lot of this move that makes sense for Paul Pogba, right? It's, it's a place he's been before, and we've talked about a lot of this stuff. I don't have a ton of new things to add. He's, he's done this before, right? He's spent time at Juventus. He knows what to expect from that environment. And I think with the talent he has, he can very much improve that team. Juventus need talent, right, relative to the rest of Serie A, especially to Inter. Their squad has fallen behind, and, and they lose to not just Inter, but also AC Milan last year. Milan win the title. So they need pieces. They need quality. They need depth. Getting a superstar like Paul Pogba, if he fits in that environment, and if they can get him firing on all cylinders, is a brilliant move. Those are just two massive ifs that we really won't know the answers to until at least a couple of months into this season. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of I'm split in my view on whether this is going to work out or not, because 
Juventus have Zakaria and Locatelli and Wes McKenney, of course, to act as the supplementary pieces around Pogba in the midfield, which was something he never had in six years at Man United. It was all on him to be this all-action, box-to-box operator that 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 position and role just never got the best out of him for for United. And it wasn't really towards the end of his time at United that Solskjaer recognised maybe using him in an attacking role was, was better, but it was too late by then. And as you say, Joe, this, this Juventus team certainly could use a lot of the qualities that Pogba's got, certainly the, the energy and drive through the middle of the pitch. That's something Pogba will offer. That's what he's good at. But then I look at the precise structure of that Juventus midfield and I have some questions, mainly over how Locatelli and Pogba are going to play together, together because Locatelli was brilliant in the second half or the final third of last season, but that was only after Allegri pushed him further forward. That's where he's most effective, not when he's in a deeper role. But the same could be said of Pogba. So Allegri is surely going to have to prioritise one over the other. And if Locatelli is pushed deep, I think that's a waste. If Pogba is pushed deep, I think that's also a waste. So it's not quite as simple as when Allegri had Pirlo, Vidal and Pogba and that unit just worked. They all complemented each other. They all did different things and that midfield unit was perfect. I do think that it's going to take some moulding for Allegri to make that all work. And what what does that mean for Wes McKinney as well from from an American perspective? If Locatelli, Pogba and Zakaria are the first choice Midfield three, where is, where's McKenny fitting in? Yeah, my, my very much red, white, and blue glasses on this one. I will own that up front. That has been my concern with Pogba going back to Juve for a little bit of time. That, like, Locatelli, I have a hard time thinking the media is going to get behind scapegoating him as the person who's causing all these problems is the reason why Juve aren't playing well if they don't play well. I doubt it will be Pogba because he's just come back and they're spending a lot of money on him. I doubt it's Allegri because I think they they... They like him back, and I, uh, though I think there are some players who aren't as impressed by him, I think he is the manager that will get the best out of Juve. It feels like it might end up being Weston McKinney who gets scapegoated, as he's the problem, he's the one who doesn't fit. Uh, and I don't love the idea of a Weston McKinney who isn't playing and isn't in much confidence or in a very confident position heading into the World Cup. So again, red, white, and blue glasses very much in seeing that one and making it all about the American when there's many other <laughs> names that could end up being blamed or part of the issue but uh I have some concerns for young Weston Graham one more quick question on the Juventus from me about Paolo Dybala I mentioned earlier being a free agent Mm. at this point uh we're seeing Roma and Inter perhaps interested in his signature but why for a player of his quality a is he available and sort of a, a spare part at the moment and why are people not clambering for his signature I think there's two parts from what I've been reading one is his wage wage demands are very high his his agent is doing the the Aaron Ramsey thing, that's a strange reference, but basically Aaron Ramsey got paid an absolute fortune at Juventus, I think about 400,000 euros a week. He's still actually on that contract because there wasn't a transfer fee and I think Dybala's agent's doing similar. And also that it seems to be the suggestion he wants to stay in Serie A and Inter Milan have a lot of financial stuff going on at the moment. They've just signed Romel Lukaku to a, a, a big contract. I think Mkhitaryan has come into that club as well. So it feels like they're moving some pieces around. They're maybe counting on uh, Milan Skriniar leaving to, to free up some funds so they can get Paolo Dybala in. I don't think Dybala wants to go to Roma. They're outside of the Champions League places. So it, it kind of feels like they're just waiting for the right move. And the right move feels like that inter move. They're just waiting for that for, for that to happen, it feels like. We shall see. Thank you very much. All right, quick break time when we come back. Raheem Sterling to Chelsea and much more. Back shortly. Hey, folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early. There are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, 
it's going to be a chaotic situation. There's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly. There's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there. There's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain. There are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. 
Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our transfer special. Raheem Sterling, as we record, appears to have confirmed a £50 million transfer from Manchester City to Chelsea on wages of £300,000 per week, according to The Guardian. Um, first marquee signing under new ownership. I'll tell you what, Taylor, I didn't realise this, uh, but reading in, in a Guardian article that's up today uh, as we record, um, they say that Todd Bowley, Chelsea's co-owner, has taken temporary charge of the club's recruitment. And I didn't quite realise he was that high up in terms of recruitment. And then kind of explains the Ronaldo thing where he's come in and said, that's the best player. I'll, I'll have that player, please. Um, so that's interesting. Yeah. What could go wrong there with one person deciding <laughs> all the aspects of the club and having the money to do so? I don't see how that could in any way blow up. I'm guessing that is because there's been uh, the sort of exodus of front office personnel from Chelsea uh, since that acquisition. And, and so maybe he's just having to like fill a couple different roles right now. But it does seem like he is is pretty actively involved in many different things. Again, I cannot tell if that is club sort of connecting new Chelsea owner, Chelsea, tons of money. So they're just connecting themselves with him because that is always going to drive up prices uh, and maybe immediately gets some resonance in some of those transfer rumors. Uh, but also maybe he is just a very hands-on guy who's going to make things happen. And maybe he, he and Thomas Tuchel are hanging out, watching Pearl Jam together, having some beers, and then <laughs> figuring out who they're going <laughs> to sign. Watching He's Macaron. also the interim CEO of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, yeah. which I, I like to think That's if there's good. an interim job going, Todd Bowley's your guy. So maybe Paolo Dibble is going to present the uh, the awards next time around. Then that's his job, his next job. We'll see, we'll see. <laughs> maybe, yeah. <laughs> uh, Joe, where do you see Raheem Sterling fitting in at Chelsea? It seems to me like they've got a few players who could do Sterling esque things in terms of position. What what do you what do you feel about him fitting in? They do have a lot of players who can do Sterling esque things. They're they're kind of front heavy in terms of how they built this squad. I'm thinking there'll be more moves that sort out some of the other parts here, but just focusing in on Sterling, I think the answer to to where he fits in is yes. You think about all the different places he's played for City in England, he can do a, a little bit of everything across the front line. He can drop in and connect a little bit. He can isolate out wide, really wide, like he did at City and beat you 1v1. He can create chances. He can get in the box and play more centrally like we've seen him do for England in the past as part of a front two. I mean, he can do a lot of different things. And for a player whose role was decreasing at Manchester City, his, his percentage of minutes played has declined every year since 2018-19. I think it makes sense for him to try and get this move to make this his team. Because I think in a lot of ways, this Chelsea team is going to be Raheem Sterling's. He is going to be the focal point of the attack. I think he fits well in this group. Tuchel and Pep are not identical in how they play, but stylistically they're very, very similar. And we've seen Raheem Sterling break games wide open and be a massive contributor for one of the best teams that the world has ever seen. I see no reason why, assuming things are functioning at least at a decent level around him with Chelsea, I see no reason why he couldn't fit and and do some really impressive things either on the left or on the right, most likely in those spaces, but even occasionally playing underneath another striker or playing up top, doing something in that vein. I think he fits a lot of of holes for Thomas Tuchel. I think he can do a lot of things that's going to impact and improve this Chelsea team. Graham, do you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I think he can play a number of different roles, as, as as Joe says there. But I also find Sterling's move to Chelsea interesting from the City side of things, especially when you factor in Jesus going to Arsenal. So Sterling and Jesus were two players that gave City a lot of forward thrust. I mean, how many times 
did we see them get to the byline and, and square it back for a finish? That was kind of City's trademark move for a number of seasons. But now they've brought in Haaland and he's going to be the one that provides that thrust. And so the likes of Foden and Grealish, I think they will be slightly more intricate around him. But what if that plan doesn't work? What if City needs some width and all of a sudden they've just got rid of two players who could provide that? On top of, on top of that, just looking at things in, in a binary sense, um, Sterling and Jesus are two players that you can pretty much count on for 35 to 40 goals a season. Maybe that's slightly high. Let's say 30. Minimum 30 goals a season you're getting from those two players. And maybe Erling Haaland comes in and he bags 50 goals this season. And it isn't an issue. And those goals are compensated for. But if he picks up an injury and he's got a pretty patchy injury record or he doesn't fit and we've seen really good players going to City and not hitting the ground running last season it was Jack Grealish. So in either of those two scenarios, City have just lost a load of goals from their team players that they can count on for goals throughout a season and haven't replaced them so it is a bit of a gamble and I do think while in terms of the quality the individual quality there's not been a drop-off from City they are changing up the dynamic of that front line and it it might take a little bit of time for that to settle. Uh, Taylor, what do you think about that? Uh, the situation at City? Uh, I can see where, um, where Graham's coming from on that one. Perhaps we should also talk about Calvin Phillips going to Man City as well uh, and, and the strength he's going to provide there. I've seen him described, Taylor, as a new Fernandinho, but I also saw Rodri described in exactly the yeah. same way. So I don't know where that places Rodri now. Maybe he's like a permanent fullback. I don't know. It's it's an odd one because it did seem like Rodri had kind of locked it down. Fernandinho was there as a capable, if not fleet of foot replacement. And now, yeah, Calvin Phillips comes in, which maybe means they're going to have a position battle. Maybe means we'll see a change in shape from Pep. But I think ultimately, if I'm being charitable to Man City and Pep, what, what I'm wondering if maybe if this is Pep not wanting to, there to be complacency, that this is a team that's won back-to-back titles, maybe they need that extra push. Maybe they just need that reminder that your place isn't always secure no matter how much we're winning, no matter how many goals you're scoring. You've got to be performing that next season. So Holland comes in. Maybe that changes things up. Calvin Phillips comes in. Maybe that gives a little bit more competition in midfield or gives them a little bit more flexibility to do different things. But I, I do wonder if this is Pep sort of seeing past teams fall off because of complacency because so much success with the same players eventually you just get a little bit stagnant you stop working as hard and then you don't get the results you used to bring in new players who are going to demand that next level of performance and sort of back it up themselves and I wonder if that makes Man City uh, that much stronger as a result. Hmm. Interesting times ahead. All right, why don't we take a quick look at MLS? Um, Joseph Lowry, as we mentioned at the top of the show, it's kind of crazy in Major League Soccer at the moment with Wayne Rooney uh, reportedly heading over to Washington, D.C. We've got Balin, the worst person in the world, going to LAFC. We've got uh, Charlotte FC in the playoff spots at the moment. How did you see that one coming, Joe? Huh? Huh? (laughs) I got tagged in another one of those uh, preseason prediction roasts the other day by somebody in Charlotte. Um, I muted that conversation, but I do accept fully that I was wrong, and I'm very impressed. I just, I just don't need that. Also, this is this is super self indulgent. But do you guys remember last year? Maybe, maybe you don't. But either way, last year the New York Red Bulls came after everybody because I think yep. folks predicted yep. they wouldn't finish, and I don't even remember where they finished last year. It doesn't matter. But then they followed me the other day. So who wins, New York Red Bulls? I think I win. This you might you might have won the battle, but I won the war. Anyway, setting both Charlotte <laughs> and the New York Red Bulls aside, thanks for the follow. In terms of transfers. 
It's been a, a pretty crazy last stretch of Major League Soccer. So not just transfers, but also trades as well. So some of those deals to talk about players coming into the league for the first time, you do have Hector Herrera coming in. That deal was agreed to a while back. Same with Insigne. But those players are actually eligible to play. And, and Herrera has already done so. Insigne is dealing with a little bit of a calf injury, which bodes super well for his future in ML- and MLS as the league's highest paid player. Can't wait to see how that goes. I do hope it goes well. But you have those deals that have already been done. Then you have LAFC who have grabbed Gary with Bale on a TAM deal. You have them signing Chiellini. They're reportedly looking for someone else that could be a central midfielder. It could be a striker. We don't know exactly what that looks like, but LAFC have pretty much amassed one of, if not the best rosters in MLS history by snagging some of these players and using different roster mechanisms in a really efficient way. You have all of those things going on. You have the crew spending big money on Cucho Hernandez, which Taylor, you and I talked about a couple of weeks ago now. He debuts and gets a goal uh, this past weekend. And then to go back to, to some trades, Toronto FC have been making some moves as well. So they say they traded for Mark Anthony Kay from the Colorado Rapids, which I think is a massive deal for them. They need quality in central midfield. They had to trade a, a good number of assets to get him, including a, a young, talented central midfielder in Ralph Preso. But they need quality in that space if they want to compete at all in the second half of the season with Insigne and with potentially Federal. Federico Bernadeschi, who I never thought at this point in his career would be interested in making a move to MLS, but it seems like that is happening as well, and that will be Toronto's third designated player once Carlos Sacedo leaves to go back to Liga Mekis after he's, he's really struggled in MLS this season during his time there. So Toronto are, are rebuilding themselves on the fly under Bob Bradley, which who knows how that's going to go. They're certainly more talented, or they will be more talented a week from now than they were three weeks ago. In that process, they've also shipped off Alejandro Pozuelo to Inter-Miami to free up some space for them and to, to make some of these roster moves. In Miami, I think, say thank you very much as they're still reeling from some of the Gate sanctions of, what, a couple years back now. So, yes, Ryan, it's been wild in MLS. I think LAFC got a lot better and a lot more fun. Maybe Luis Suarez is coming in. It's still not exactly clear what that looks like, but he said that he's weighing offers from from five or six MLS teams looking potentially to join the league ahead of the World Cup. So there's a ton going on right now, and I I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but we've still got another few weeks of this transfer window being open, and like I said, this is the best time of the year. Joe, Joe, did you mention... Forgive me if you did, but did you mention Jesse Lingard? No. no. I didn't mention that either. Where do you see... Where do you see a, a spot for him anywhere? Is he an LAFC target or somewhere else? Uh, I, I mean, there's a chance that he ends up with LAFC. I, I'm not exactly sure. I don't have any inside information on this particular topic, but it sounds like he's interested in the coast, and that's about it. So you're looking at LAFC or the Galaxy. The Galaxy uh, have some issues with the way they've spent their designated player spots already. So there's not a ton of flexibility there, but maybe they make something happen. The Galaxy certainly have never done anything funny with MLS roster rules or been the reason why they exist in the first place before. So that, that just seems totally improbable. And then, you know, maybe there's room for him somewhere on the East Coast. I really don't know what that looks like. But Graham, the interesting part to me about Lingard, who seems a lot more improbable or at least unlikely than Bernadeschi, although they could both happen, is that these kinds of players are being talked about as legitimate options for MLS teams. It, it seems to me that those players, Lingard and Bernadeschi, they're not Insigne, they're not Shakiri, they're not Wayne Rooney of a few years ago, they're not in that upper stratosphere of really famous players, and you could argue that even those guys aren't at the Zlatan Beckham level, but they're, they're borderline prime European contributors in, in top five leagues for good teams that have a strong brand and, and at least some recognition behind them. Bernadeschi's playing for Italy, right? One of the best national teams in the world, despite them missing the World Cup over and over really? again. 
we've sorry, Ryan, we've just never seen this stuff happen before, at least not that I can recall. It feels like this summer and this particular transfer window for MLS has the potential to be a, a landmark moment in this league's history. I don't think that's over-exaggerating or, or hyperbolic in any way. This has been a, a legendary transfer window in the league's history. Now, the, the question is, can they build on this? Can they get these final deals over the line? But, man, it, it feels like there's something happening here in MLS, Graham. Wow. Now, now I'm kind of starting to get the vibe that you said, Joe, earlier, that this is the most exciting time of year. I'm kind of on board with you now. I'm kind of on board with yeah, you. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's Christmas Eve, isn't it? That's, I, guess, yeah, I get it, what you're saying. For the rest of us, except you, because you have to watch Chiellini go to LAFC. So. <sighs> there is that. Uh, Tete, <laughs> Wayne Rooney to DC. That one took me by surprise, not least because if you're following um, the trial in which his wife, Colleen Rooney, was involved, um, some of the evidence she gave pertained to the fact that she really struggled uh, and the family struggled in, uh, in DC. So I'm su- I was surprised to see that one coming. I was surprised to see Wayne Rooney uh, becoming the manager of DC United. Uh, and it was because of his wife's perspective on DC. Uh, that was a kind of common thing in some of the DC fans uh, I texted with that they really loved him when he played here. He brought a lot of effort and energy. Uh, it seemed like he bonded well with the club and the fans. And then uh, with his time at Derby County as a manager, he obviously had difficult times there, not a ton of money. So he's no stranger to those sort of uh what would the restraints basically when it comes to managing. And so I think there's optimism for him as a manager, but there is that sort of uh, feeling that he left because his family didn't really want to be here. They didn't really like it. They wanted to be back in England. So is he a long-term appointment? Is he a this season and maybe next season appointment? I think that's a thing that sort of has people uncertain how to feel about this one because he kind of wanted to leave before. Is he going to want to leave again? That's not quite what DC fans are looking for right now. The Daily Mail says that Colleen is not moving to DC with Rooney. There's a quote from a source close to Colleen, 36. She's made her views clear to Wayne. There's no way that she'll want to go to Washington. The last time, she absolutely hated it there. <laughs> so, not yeah. a fan of uh, American this politics should be fun. then. As, this as should Colleen. be fun. <laughs> All right, then. We'll leave that there, shall we? Uh, we'll see how that one progresses. Uh, I think we've got one final deal to talk about, uh, Graham. Um a certain gentleman who moved from Bologna to Brentford, Aaron Hickey, uh, one of your fine Scottish fullbacks. Uh, yeah. a, a good move for Brentford? Absolutely, and a good move for, for Aaron Hickey as well. So he's the, the latest product to come off the conveyor belt of great Scottish fullbacks. And there's been a lot of talk about Hickey this year. He was one of the best young players in Serie A last season for, for Bologna. He was linked with AC Milan and Arsenal and Juventus. And I can understand why Brentford might seem somewhat underwhelming after that sort of spe- speculation. But I'm, I'm delighted that he's gone there because at Brentford, you would think he's going to get a lot of game time. There's a place for him at left wing back. Brentford play a similar system to the one used by Bologna and also Scotland, crucially. Um, he's going to play a very technical game there. And it's in the Premier League, so a high quality of, of competition. So I, I feel like it's an ideal move for him and he's he's already got a lot of experience under his belt he's only 20 years old but he's played two full seasons in Serie A two full seasons in the Scottish Premiership he's a, a full Scotland international and it feels like to me anyway Brentford is the right fit so brace yourself for him making not a single Premier League appearance this season and his career ending in flames at the end of the year oh dear at least he didn't go to Norwich huh that's that the consolation we don't we don't say that name anymore, Ryan Bailey. That's not a team that we talk about anymore. Understood. Understood, Graham. All right, well let's wrap up the transfer show for now. I'm sure we'll have plenty more as this summer, as this most wonderful time of the year for Joe Lowry uh, continues. But for now, Joe, thank you so much for your contributions today. 
Thank you, Ryan. Now go lay out in the sun. I will do exactly that, Graham. Go lay out in the dark and rain. In the clouds. In the clouds. <laughs> I mean, that is my usual Monday afternoon anyway, just sitting under a dark cloud. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. Oh, thank you very much, Graham. And Tay-Tay Rockwell, thank you so much, sir. I will go sit in my cloud of humidity. Thank you, my friend. <laughs> Sounds like a larf. Listener, thank you very much for joining us. We'll be back on the feed very shortly. But for now, bye! Bye! 